NFR Extra follows all your favorite cowboys, interviews legends of rodeo, and talks to the best of country music. Follow Nevada Caldwell, Ryland Bentley, and Steve Godert every week as they delve deep into the stories behind the road to gold in Vegas at the National Finals Rodeo. It's revealing, comedic, and sometimes emotional. Find it on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. NFR Extra, all dirt, all rodeo, all year. You know, Dancing with the Stars came to me the first season and it came across my desk as there's a new TV show where they take, you know, different celebrities from different walks of life and they teach them how to ballroom dance. And I was like, uh, thanks, but no thanks, you know. And <laughs> it sounded like the dumbest idea for a show that I'd ever heard of. And, you know, then it blows up and 25 million people a week are watching it. And they came back to me a couple years later. And, you know, this thing was so huge that I felt like um, being able to do it would, would bring so much attention to the sport and to cowboys and to the and to rodeo and the bull riding. And so I, I always tried to do everything along those lines that I could, you know, when, when opportunities came to me. NFR Extra, episode 107. Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame cowboy Ty Murray visits NFR Extra. There's not much Ty can't do from riding the rankest stock in the world to dancing with the stars. He talks about the importance of stepping out of his comfort zone to represent the Western lifestyle. What makes Las Vegas so unique to the rodeo cowboy, Stetson Wright's impact on the sport of rodeo, and much, much more. Enjoy our conversation with Ty Murray on NFR Extra. Finding your custom NFR experience in Las Vegas just got a lot easier. New this year is a resource that links you to every hotel offer. At nfrexperience.com forward slash stay your way, you can shop for the hotel that best fits your plans. Everything is there. Information on viewing parties, concerts, price, transportation, location, and so much more. All in one place. Go to nfrexperience.com forward slash stay your way. One Vegas. Stay your way. Hi, I'm Boyd Paul Hamus, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Basketball has Michael Jordan. Hockey's got Wayne Gretzky. The world of soccer holds a high place of honor for Brazilian footballer Pele. While few cycling aficionados dispute the dominance of Lance Armstrong, on that same rarefied plateau, Ty Murray stands among these peers as the most accomplished rough stock athlete in the century-long history of the sport. A record-setting seven all-around world championship titles under his belt, Murray has truly earned his nickname as the King of the Cowboys. In 1990, Sports Illustrated proclaimed, at age 21, Ty Murray is the best dang rodeo cowboy of them all. Since then, his single-minded dedication to solidifying that status has led to shattered records and more than a few injuries, not only riding to the top of his field, but helping steadily build the mainstream popularity of rodeo. Dedication is a trait that sticks with Murray, who says, I have loved the cowboy life, everything about it, since the day I was born. There's no other feeling on this earth like making great rides on great animals. I don't care about going down in history as a great bull rider or a bronc rider. I hope people will remember me as a great cowboy. Mr. Ty Murray, welcome to NFR Extra. 
Yeah, thanks for having me, Nevada. Yeah, thank you. We've had a lot of folks that uh, GMs, CEOs that run rodeos for the past probably two months just to focus on the, the how rodeo came back after all this craziness that we went through and just talking about their experiences. And we felt it was a good time to get back with the, the, the bread and butter of rodeo, the champions and the folks that make up this business. And so super excited to have you on. When we talk about NFR, we talk about Las Vegas, Thomas Mack Center. When it became, it's it started gain its kind of prominence in the 90s and it's carried on through you're right in the middle of that what makes those entities so special to the rodeo cowboy for yourself as well as every other individual that has won a gold buckle at the thomas mack center it feels to me like the the move to las vegas was a great move for the sport and for the national finals rodeo and and you know it's become such a huge iconic event that you know, it's on par with the biggest sporting events in the world. Uh, and, and I think Vegas, you know, being partners in that, I think is huge. I think that, that you guys have embraced us from the start and, and it's, it's been a great, uh, you know, it's been a great partnership uh, from the word go and you just see it get bigger and you just see it get bigger every year. Did you like, so, oops, sorry that. so coming from the side, when you say Vegas and, and how that thing worked out for, you're seeing all these other Cowboys before you, you know, Donnie Gay, you had tough Hedeman, you had Joe Beaver, you know, all these guys that were coming through in the eighties. How was it that played out for the other side, the hotels and, and things like that? Was that something that you started to see the difference in? Cause in the eighties, that was kind of coming about, but for in the nineties, it really started to establish itself, not just from our business, but for the Cowboys. Where did you do business? Where was Ty staying? Where were the things that you were doing during those nineties as we started to kind of the rodeo business started to move up at that time? The MGM grand was just built and you know, at that time it was the biggest hotel in the world and, or, or, you know, it had all these stats and they signed when they opened, they signed three athletes. They signed Shire Leonard, Andre Agassi and me. And so they were one of my, they were one of my big sponsors, uh, a guy by the name of Dennis Finfrock who ran the, the grand garden at that time, uh, is who signed me and, and, you know, they treated me like a world-class athlete and they were great, uh, great sponsors. And we've had a lot of great uh, friendships and partnerships over the year. You know, our first couple PBR world finals were there and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I can remember when they were talking about moving the finals, the national finals from Oklahoma city to Las Vegas. You know, I was, I was 12 years old or something like that. And, and I think everybody's initial feeling was it was going to be horrible. And, you know, Vegas wasn't a cowboy town. And, and, and you know, at that time, for what it was, the NFR was, was well established in Oklahoma City. And, and um, you know, to look back on it now, really to look back on it, even a few years after it moved, uh, you know, it was just, it was just, I think, one of the greatest decisions that, that rodeos ever made. Yeah, you know, you bring up Dennis Finfrock, and there's also some history as as he ran the Thomas Mack Center was there when the NFR came to um, right. Thomas Mack. So that, wow, had no idea that connection there for you. That's pretty awesome, man. Those some heavy hitters, no pun there, with Sugar Ray and Andre. Yeah. That's, wow. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, 
you know, it was just a, it was a great sponsorship we used to do, you know, back then there was, you know, now they, they up their involvement, but back then it was kind of a, a new thing to, you know, have big autograph signings at the hotel. And I remember every night after the event, I would, I would sit there and sign autographs for, for two hours, just, I mean, lined up out the door. And so it was, uh, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. They gave me a really nice room too. You know, you, you hear the name Trevor Brazil, right? I mean, 20 plus championships. I mean, that's ungodly. Just it's, I mean, you, him and Tom Brady, you know, they're probably in the same discussion when you, you kind of separate the two sports, right? Or just what their accomplishments have done. Yeah. Um, but what I think the interesting thing that's happening today, we got a young man by the name of Stetson Wright blazing a trail, very similar to what you did. And I don't want to take away from Trevor, but this is me being the outsider always looking in for rodeo. It yeah. seems like stock gets a little bit more spotlight outside of the rodeo industry when it comes to world champions. And I think as you touch on it, what is that feeling when you look at a guy like Stetson and what is the potential for him to come? You know, I don't, I don't foresee Trevor ever getting on dancing with the stars or doing some other things, but I could see Stetson doing that. How does that always differentiate between the timed and the stocked events and, and these world champions becoming a little bit more um, separated when it comes to the spotlight outside of rodeo? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I think it's, a, I think it's a number of things, you know, really when you're looking at the all around race, you know, the time events are equally as, hard they they require equal as much practice and work and dedication talent athletic ability physically mentally athletic so does so does golf in comparison to say maybe a running back in the nfl you know so it's no question uh the timed events are are physically um you're going to be able to have a longer career for you know most likely and then if you look at like the popularity of the rough stock events, you know, I think that's just the inherent danger and the wow factor. And, you know, seeing a 150 pound man get on a 2000 pound bull, you know, people that don't know anything about it or don't care anything about it, they're, they're going to want to step up to see that or, or riding a bucking horse or whatever. So I feel like Larry Mann was a, was a excellent ambassador for the sport that helped raise the level of awareness of the sport of rodeo. You know, I feel like I may have been able to help it somewhat throughout my career. And now you see like a Stetson Wright, he has, a, this kid has the potential to set the world on fire for a long time. And, and he's just getting better, you know, like he hasn't even, he hasn't even got warmed up yet. We're just, we're just now seeing him really start to hit, hit his stride in both events. And, and it seems like every time I watch the kid, I see him just getting better and better and better. So it's going to be really fun to, to sit back and watch him and see how far he can go and see how much awareness and publicity that he can bring to the sport, because that's so important. You know, even, even if you take bull riding without people engaging in the sport and having a reason to care of what the outcome is, you, you don't have anything. And so even if it has an amazing wow factor, say like the, that the, that the event of bull riding can have, Without people having a vested reason and interest in caring what the outcome is, you don't really have anything. So I feel like, you know, that it's important. I feel like Stetson is a lot like me in that, in that he's this young baby faced kid that that's doing, you know, arguably two of the rankest thing that a human being can do. You know, it, it's, it requires 
absolute 100% tough guy to do it. And I, I can remember, you know, when I was 19 or 20 and there would be say a, a film crew or photographer for, out of New York city that would come to come to Stephenville or something to, to do a piece on me. And it was like, they would show up and see me and they would be looking for, you know, the, the, the cowboy, <laughs> you know, I think they, they had in their mind more of like a Clint Eastwood or a Marlboro man type of <laughs> uh, looking person. And when it's a, when it's a 19 year old kid that looks like he's 12, you know, I think it kind of takes people aback. And that's a similarity that I see with Stetson is, you know, he's just this young baby face kid that is just, that is just dominating in, in a, in a really tough sport. You know, you, you talk about the, the whole body thing, right? Like just how did you, cause you look, you know, I know I'm pretty sure then there, there's some broken things inside your body and all the things you went through, but how did you take care of yourself in those runs? I mean, you, you stayed pretty healthy to, to compete like that. How did, what did you do back then? Well, for the most part, it, for, it, it's, it's, I think it's quite a few things. So I think for one, I think I was luckily born with a body type that was perfect for the rough stock events, you know, barebacks, horses, saddle bronc horses and bulls. So I feel really lucky there. I always, I started getting serious about training in like the seventh grade. Mm. And that was something that was important to me. And I took serious from the seventh grade till sheep to even still now, you know, I feel like um, staying in good shape is just, there's so many benefits to it and there's long-term benefits or short-term benefits. I know that when I was riding the dedication of, of being in the gym and putting in the time and putting in the work and putting in the pain. Th- th- those are ways that helped my confidence so much because you felt more prepared. And, you know, if you train two hours a day, that was two hours a day that you were, that you were dedicating to your craft and to your sport and to your trying to go after championships. I know that every time I know the more prepared I get, the luckier I get. So, you know, that was something Casey Tibbs told me my rookie year. And, and, you know, I really found that to be true that the, the, the more you love something, the easier it is to work at it. And the, and the more you work at it, the easier it is to, to get really good at it and, and, and love it even more. You're listening to NFR Extra with our guest, Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame Cowboy, Ty Murray. Let's take a quick break. December in Vegas. What does that mean? It's time for the Wrangler NFR and the Cowboy Channel Cowboy Christmas, the ultimate shopping and entertainment experience. Catch live shows on the Ariat Rodeo Live Stage, the Yeti Junior World Finals, autograph sessions, and much more. Open daily with free admission at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Visit NFRExperience.com for details. The Cowboy Channel Cowboy Christmas. It's all here. Hi, I'm world champion Jacob Scrawley, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Ty Murray here on NFR Extra. You know, with J.B. Mooney doing what he's been doing, and we have potential to see something pretty unique for this NFR where you have a, a PBR legend, iconic individual that's attached mm-hmm. to another competing entity, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And again, we're starting to talk about Stetson, but then right in the middle is Sage, who is this young stud for the past seven, six years. What's your thought on like this, this meeting of these, these 
individuals in bull riding with J.B. Mooney, Sage, Stetson, and what the potential is for this 2021 regular national finals rodeo? Well, I think that's, I think that's going to be super fun to watch. You know, when talking about like, you know, JB is the, he's the kind of the epitome of the old school guy. He doesn't, you know, I don't think he's ever done an exercise in his life. He, you know, he smokes, he drinks, he, you know, he's the, he's definitely kind of a throwback to the, you know, to, to the idea maybe of the cowboy um, from, from a while back. And, you know, there's still some guys that, that are like that. And I think it's, I think it's going to be fun to watch those guys get to go head to head. I think it would be, I would have liked to have seen them be able to go head to head while JB was in the prime of his career, the way those guys are, you know, JB's a, he's a old man in the game now. <laughs> and he's still very good. And he still has, you know, he, he's one of those guys that you never count out because he can make magic happen. And I, and I feel like he still has that in him. It's probably not as surefire as it used to be, you know, like when he was more in his prime, but his gunslinger, you know, type of attitude is, is still something that can be very, very dangerous because he definitely lives for the big moments when all the eyes are upon him. And, and to me, you know, that's the mark of a great athlete in any sport is the guys that you look at that are like the Michael Jordans or the Wayne Gretzky's that when the pressure is the greatest is when they perform the best. And I think they, I think, uh, I think all of those guys fall into that category pretty much. So, you know, that's what, that's what you want to see. So, you know, sometimes you see really talented guys that when all the chips are down, they tighten up and choke a little bit. And those three guys aren't really that type of guy. No. And I'm always fascinated because, you know, we've had PBR here for, zillions of years, just like NFR and been a big fan of JB, pretty good friends of Dale Brisby, which I know they're buddies. And I've always followed JB, right? I'm not, I'm not the confessed big rodeo guy, right? I work in this industry, but I follow him just because I, he's fascinating, right? My dad, he's similar to my dad, very Clint Eastwooded, as you were saying, like mm -hmm. styled him, but I keep on thinking about going into this run, right? Pending heels up and everything's good. I mean, which you guys tend to do that. You can have uh, a punctured lung or a spleen or whatever. And just next week you're riding as, as I've uh, been accustomed to, to finding out it, it there's gotta be such a mental part, right. For JB going into this event where it's like 10 days. I, I mean, like, you know, like he just comes in and does his thing and somehow is able to get his body there. Cause I've watched him where he's super injured. He rides. And then when he gets dumped off, he can't even get up. Right. But for some odd reason, they were just plant him on that bowl and he did his thing. How would you back in the day? And for these guys, and I, it probably hasn't changed. How would you mentally prepare for the national finals rodeo? I mean, there's gotta be a massive mental approach to this. Well, the big, the biggest thing for me every year was I, you know, I tried to, I tried to not change one thing. You know, I always tried to dance with, with the one who brought me and, I have seven number one NFR back numbers. So what I was doing all year was good enough to put me at number one. So I always felt felt like it was my biggest job to try to just keep doing what I was doing. And, you know, pressure, pressure is a, I think everybody in every sport experiences it, but it's not a real thing. It's a, it's man-made and self-inflicted. And so when you take guys like JB, like Sage, like Stetson, these guys are all legit. 
you know, I feel like they're in the in the event that, well, really all of the events are, are a big part mental. And, you know, these guys are all veterans already of, you know, being able to deal, know how to deal with that. And, you know, it's different for every guy. You know, I traveled with guys that, man, they they changed everything when they went to the NFR, you know, in their mind or, or and some guys didn't change a thing and, you know, kind of all over the spectrum, everything in between. But that was the biggest thing for me is just, you know, I didn't get a new bull rope for the NFR and I didn't get new stirrup leathers in my saddle and do all that new rigging, all that stuff. I didn't do that. What was working for me, you know, getting me to the NFR is what I, I just carried right through and just kept trying to do that. And, you know, I think that's the hardest thing about if you're, if you're going to talk about like coaching in a sport like this, it's such a big mental game because, you know, if you're using the bull riding as an example, you're an underdog every time for the most part. So to be able to have the, the confidence and the cockiness, if that's what you want to call it and the swagger and the guts and the swing for the fences type of mindset, you know, you, you, it's almost like you have to, it's almost like you have to learn how to trick your brain. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like you're going in there to to fight Mike Tyson in his prime every time, and you've got to go in there seriously believing that you can win. Because the guys that don't feel that way, you, you can see it immediately. I, I feel like I can see it immediately. You, you have the guys that scoot up on their rope, and when they nod their head, they're ready to go to whatever level that animal takes it to. And you see other guys that are like, they're going to, you know, put their toe in the water or something and kind of <laughs> see how things go. You know, th- those are the guys that are always going to, they're always going to be at the bottom of the pack. You know, you, um, that's the thing that, you know, the thing that I see as when you get to the top of any sport, you find out everybody's pretty damn good, but there, there has to be something that separates when you look at world champions, they're all pretty different. So if you want to compare JB and Sage, they're, they're polar opposite of each other. But the thing that they have that's the same is they both have a confidence and a cockiness and a swagger and a belief in themselves that they can do it. And I feel like that's the biggest element in any sport that you're talking about. Because, you know, like if you look at the NFL, for example, Every guy playing in the NFL is a is a top college recruit that you know that I mean he's the best guy from his division. And so everybody is is pretty darn good. It just comes down to the ones that that really believe how good they are and just have that, you know, that overwhelming sense of confidence. And so that goes back to like my preparation and my training and all that stuff. That the, all that was geared towards giving me that confidence because when I truly had that confidence, I felt like I could ride anything. You know, what's tough about your guys' sport is that, you know, if you take football, for instance, right, and take that whole mindset, you can make some mistakes, but still make up for it, right? Because you got all this time, right? Like, yeah, right for you, but you got, oh, yeah, and you have teammates that might, that might yeah. cover for your mistake too. hundred percent. But for you guys, you have an entire day that comes down to eight seconds, right? Like that, people can't even, there needs to be more books about the mindset what you all go through compared to like, cause there's so many books about you know, quarterbacks and pitchers and things like that. But again, you have 24 hours in a day, but only that eight seconds truly matters for that day in those 10 day runs, you know? Right. And so like, you know, all sports have the pressure of winning or losing or, you know, the, the fans, the contracts, the, what stage you're on, the being behind trying to come back, you know, all, all those, all those pressures that an athlete faces, every professional sport has that. In bull riding, 
to take it to a to a complete other level is you literally have the factor of living and dying every time you do it. So I think that's something that takes it to a whole other level that most sports don't go to. And, and, you know, I know there's other sports that are dangerous, but there, there is not another sport that's as dangerous as this sport. For me, you know, it was a, that that's where that confidence matters so much because you're going to work every day and you're doing a job that you could easily die at every single day that you do it. Being able to compartmentalize that fact and still be able to be focused and fluid in your best self every time you nod your head, you know, that you've got to figure out a way in your brain for that to all work. And that, that you know, that's kind of the point I was trying to make earlier. If you talk about coaching this sport or coaching any sport for that matter, what makes a great coach is somebody that can find what it is that mentally is going to make that guy at his best. And, and that's, you know, that's not an easy task. You can't, you can't even, you know, it's hard to teach. It's hard to write a book about or anything because I feel like everybody gets there mentally in a different way, but regardless, you've got to figure out how to get there. All right. Let's transition just like you did. You, you, you had a great run NFR or PRCA PBR. Then you got in front of the camera. How was that transition and, and how long did it take till you felt the confidence to just get in front of the camera? I mean, Cause it's a whole different confidence, right? You're on a microphone yeah. camera and you know, you're speaking to you know, millions of people. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that after you win nine world titles, you you at that point are pretty comfortable on camera just because of, you know, all the all of the interviews and the and the stuff I've done on television and shows. And so, you know, at that point, I had been on I'd been on camera a lot and I'd talked on camera a ton. And it wasn't really that nerve wracking as far as, you know, I was I didn't have a stage fright or, or camera shyness or anything like that. I think that the hardest part for me, it was two things. So I feel like the traditional rodeo announcer, that's what they have to go off of whenever they're trying to commentate for a telecast in our sport. So for me and the work that I did, I felt that it was important to analyze what you're seeing and not sugarcoat it and not you know, and, and I, you know, I think a lot of people thought that, you know, I've heard, I've heard people to, you know, say that I'm, you know, that I was uh, too critical and, and, and too blunt and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I felt like that I was trying to, you know, especially like in the, in the CBS stuff that I do for the PBR, you're not going to be considered a real sport ever. If you're on the hype rodeo announcer, taking that mentality to mainstream television and mainstream television audience, you know, if you're Tom Brady and you go out and you throw five interceptions, they're not talking about what a great family man you are and what a great person you are and how much charity work you did, you know? And, and, and for me, I felt like I just tried to be as honest, you know, I, I don't have an ax to grind against anybody. So I was never trying to run anybody down. I was never trying to make myself, you know, sound like I was, better than what I was. I was just hired as an expert in the field to give my analysis of, of what's happening in the arena. And I always tried to be just as honest as I could be. So that was something that I feel like was difficult and I maybe took some arrows over, but, but it's still something that I feel is very important. I feel like to be a legitimate sport, especially a, a television property sport, 
you know, you're not out, you're not out to crucify anybody or, or really even make anybody look bad, but you've got to, you've got to call a spade a spade. So that was something that I felt like, you know, that I tried to work at and make better. And the, the other, the, you know, the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge is it's not, it's not natural to talk about anything that much, you know? So especially like if you're taking the bull riding for an example, you know, you're, you're talking about the same eight seconds, literally millions of times. And so trying to constantly uh, have some information that, that people might be wondering about or, or give them some insight that maybe they didn't have or, or those sort of things. After you've said it, you know, 10 million ways, one of the hardest thing is that is to be able to stay fresh in that and, and, and keep bringing a really um, upbeat vibe to, you know, to something that you've just talked, you feel like you've talked it into the ground and, and that just goes with the territory and you, you have to accept that and just, and just look at it, you know, every time you sit down, just look at it with an open mind and, and try to bring as much of your expertise to the sport as you can. And that totally makes sense. And I coming from the media business, I think there's two perspectives that you don't want to be everyone's friend. Right. So I think the, the, the notion that either you're loved or hated. And as long as you got either one of those, you're doing something right. You know, like there's, you're, you're just, you're honestly throwing it out there and you're breaking it down in a way that needs to be heard. My goodness. I mean, when you've won as much as you've done, you need to share that information, right? That's only good for the fan out there listening that what they're seeing and why this went wrong or why this happened or, you right. know, I mean, that that's so important yeah, I, to do that. I, yeah. I feel like that, you know, I feel like that goes a long ways in what I was saying about, they have to have a reason to care. And whenever you can point out things to look for or give some information that's going to make it more interesting to the fan, those are the type of things that give people a reason to care and a reason to, to have a vested interest in the outcome of the game. So, you know, I feel like that's your job anytime you're talking about a sport to millions of people. You've got to be giving them the nuggets that, that – that make them have a reason to care about what they're seeing. They don't care. They're not coming to, they're not watching. They're not coming to sit in the stands. So yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. You know, I always compare it to like freestyle, freestyle, you know, motorcycle jumping, you know, these guys will hit a hundred foot ramp and do three back flips and land with no hands standing on the seat, you know, and that's unbelievably incredible. I mean, you look at it and you're just like, no way could a human do that. <laughs> and then they do it. But for, for a lot of people, after you watch four or five of them go, then it all just kind of the same thing. And, and without that vested interest, you're not going to you're not going to just keep watching it off of the wow factor. And that's you know, that's that's the thing that I think we have to remember in our sport that it goes sport. The popularity of sport goes so much. It's the drama of the sport that people stick around for and, and having that vested interest and. I really want the blue team to beat the red team or whatever it may be. You know, they've got to have that reason to care and feel like they're going along on the journey. They're not just watching a spectacle. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So let's talk about your, this is NFR Extra and our guest today, Ty Murray.
NFR Extra follows Cowboys, talks to legends and country stars, and finds the stories that make up the season that leads to the annual showdown in December. Follow me, Nevada Caldwell, Brylan Bentley, and Steve Goder as we delve deep into the stories in and behind the road to gold. Listen to NFR Extra on Rural Radio, Channel 147 on Sirius XM every Monday at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern, with a re-air Tuesday in the same time slot. NFR Extra, all dirt, all rodeo, all year. Hi, I'm Haley Kinsel, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Ty Murray is here on NFR Extra. You're a great ambassador for this sport. You know, rattle off some some big pop culture names here: Dancing with the Stars, WWE, HDTV, other other entities. What's it been like? You know, you you representing something outside of the rodeo industry. And and, I, and the other thing I want to add to this is what's nice about today is when someone sees you in any of these entities I just spoke of, what's nice about the internet today is they can go in and type in Ty Murray and all of a sudden they'll get this plethora of information about your, mm-hmm. you know, your legacy and everything else. How, I mean, I'm not saying that you're probably carrying this weight on your shoulders, but, and you're, you're a pretty good ambassador for this, uh, this sport. How's that felt jumping into a lot of those pop culture world? When I was 13 years old, Larry Mahan took me under his wing. You know, Larry Mahan was a six-time world champion all-around cowboy. He was my idol growing up. I went and lived with him for a summer. He never taught me one thing about riding, but he tried to instill in me the importance of being able to talk about what it is you do and embrace the media. He started grooming me for that when I was 13. I'm so, you know, looking back, I'm so lucky and thankful that he did. Because when I was a kid, all I cared about was riding bucking horses and bulls, and that was it. I mean, if it didn't have something to do with being a cowboy, I didn't have much time for it or care. (laughs) So to have that influence in my life early on was so good for me in so many ways. Um, I think think that that can – I think that that helps the sport uh, whenever you have somebody that that is – able to go outside of our, you know, our small circle and, and reach people outside of that. And so, you know, dancing with the stars came to me the first season and it came across my desk as there's a new TV show where they take, you know, different celebrities from different walks of life and they teach them how to ballroom dance. And I was like, uh, thanks, but no thanks, you know, and it sounded like the dumbest idea for a show that I'd ever heard of. (laughs) And, you know, then it blows up and 25 million people a week are watching it. And they came back to me a couple of years later. And, you know, this thing was so huge that I felt like um, being able to do it would, would bring so much attention to the sport and to Cowboys and to the, and to rodeo and the bull riding. And so I, I, I always tried to do everything, along those lines that I could, you know, when, when opportunities came to me, you know, from Walker, Texas Ranger to there used to be a show about a sports agent called Arliss to CSI to punked to, you know, there was, there was so the high, low country, the movie, there were so many opportunities that would come to me. And, you know, not only were they fun experiences, but I think they were things that, that I was doing that Larry Mahan taught me to do. That I just, I just feel like, you know, at the end of the day, whenever you're helping your sport, you're helping your livelihood, you're helping your world, you're helping your friends, you're helping the fans. I, I think that's something that always 
pretty much felt important to me throughout my whole career. And, and really it still does to this day. I mean, you know, that's part of why we're on a podcast together right now. Absolutely. When, when you think about everything that you've accomplished and you still got a lot more to accomplish outside of the, the dirt, and you think about this legacy that you've created, I mean, what are, what's something you want people to remember you by? I mean, is there anything that crosses your mind, your heart? Well, you know, I, I, I just hope that, and, and I think this is what I wanted from, you know, from, from early on was I think, I think that rodeo for when it really burns in you, I think that it's, it's, you set personal benchmarks for yourself. And, you know, my benchmark that I set when I was a little kid was Larry Mahan was my idol. He was the greatest rough stock rider to ever come along at that time. And so my, my whole goal, my whole benchmark that I set for myself was to break his record. And, you know, I was able to do that. What wasn't easy for sure. You know, I had, I missed three years right in the prime of my career with some injuries when I, when I was tied with him and it took me three years to overcome those injuries and be able to actually break the record. But when I look at a legacy, you know, I, I've just tried to be a good cowboy my whole life. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, ranch cowboy work or rodeo cowboy work, all of the events, you know, I did, I did every event all the way through college. It's just something that's, you know, has always fascinated me. It's, it's something that I always want to do. All the guys that I looked up to when I was a little kid were, were great cowboys. And, and so that's something that I've, that I've always worked at. It's something that I still work at, you know, here on the ranch, I've got the ranch, my dreams that I bought 25 years ago. And, you know, like still making good horses is, is something that I, that I pride myself on and, and something that I'm, you know, still working at every day, trying to, trying to be a better horseman, trying to be a better rancher, trying to be a better cowman. Because when you look at all the facets of being a cowboy, there, there's million of, them. you know, there's, it, it, there's so many different, there's so many different skills and, 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 and there's so many different uh, pieces of knowledge that you need that it, it feels to me like it's, it's endless and something that you can work on your whole life. And, and basically for 51 years, that's, that's what I've been doing. You know, I hope that, I hope that when, when people think of me if you're if you're wanting to talk about it from a legacy standpoint i i hope they say well that guy right there was about as cowboy as as they get and you know and and you want to be not you want to be remembered as a good person and i think that people like to see you do good uh, a lot more when you're a good person and, and you know and now now it's to the point where you know when you have kids it really changes your your perspective on life. So that's important to me too, that, you know, that, that one of these days, my kids say that, you know, my dad was a, was a, he was a good man, a tough man, an honest man. He, you know, he, he, he's, he always did what he said he was going to do and you could count on him and, and he was a good cowboy. You know, if, if my kids, you know, if they go on to feel that way, that, that will be, I don't know that you could ask for much better than that. Yeah. No, I mean, your body of work totally speaks for itself time. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's just what you've done from that. And then what's, I think the sweet part is for gentlemen like yourself, you get to keep defining that as you go. Right. I mean, as you spoke of dancing with the stars, you're like, why would I ever do that? Right. There's the cowboy and you're pulling it back, but then you look at, you know, you had to reinvent yourself and go do that. And then I could only imagine there's more coming down the road that these opportunities are just going to keep, keep coming in, in weird ways. But like you see the benefit of it, 
of, you know, what you represent for this industry. So it's awesome. Well, um, yeah, I really appreciate that. You know, it's when you have kids, it just, it just kind of changes, you know, it's, it's funny because my career kind of feels like another life to me now. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an accident that, that I didn't have a wife and didn't have kids during my rodeo career because I didn't feel like you could go do the world's most dangerous sport every day with a, a baby waiting at home for you. Mm-hmm. You know, my traveling partner, Cody Lambert, he always had a wife and baby at home when, when we were going hard. And I would look at that and I'd just be like, there's no way, you know, there's no way. And really, I think if you asked him, he would tell you it was definitely hard. You know, it was hard being away from home all the time. It was hard, you know, giving it everything you've got when, when, when it's getting pretty hairy, you know, when you know you've got you've to be around to take care of that wife and baby. And that was something that I watched him struggle with. And I, I didn't want to struggle with that. And then so, at, you know, after my career, you know, having a wife and, and having kids is it just changes what you feel like is important. You know, what mattered to me more than anything, the first 32 years of my life was to be able to win seven world all around championships. And the sport of rodeo was all I thought about all day long, every day. I didn't have to try to think about it. That's just how it worked. And, and now where I'm at in life and, and, and being a dad and being a husband, it just feels, feels like another life, you know, like, like my rodeo life was a, a different life that, I wouldn't be willing to do any of it now. I, no part of it. I wouldn't want the travel. I wouldn't want the the danger of it. I wouldn't want the, you know, it just, it just, it just doesn't matter to me now the way it did then. Uh, you know, there's different now, you know, I, I try to, I don't feel like I have really any mountains left to climb. And, you know, there's, there, there's not, I don't have really a lot of benchmarks for myself other than trying to be a great husband and a great dad. Um, you know, I'm just trying to make sure that we are, me and my wife and my kids are doing everything we can to really enjoy the fruits of my past labor, all the wonderful life experiences and opportunities that we have. And, you know, that's what feels as important to me now as my writing career felt to me back then. But it's just funny how much that it can change. And Growing up in the sport and being a fifth generation cowboy, I, I knew this wasn't something that you did till you were 65 and then they gave you a gold watch. You know, I mean, <laughs> I knew it was something that by the time you're 32, you're an old man. And that was when I retired was when I was 32. I haven't missed it for a day. You know, maybe part of that is because I was able to hit the benchmarks that I set for myself. So I feel like I got it out of my system, but you know, it's where I'm at now with my family is it feels just as exciting and and even a little scary and a little dangerous sometimes a lot like <laughs> the sport, you know, raising kids is definitely not for the faint of heart. And, <laughs> you know, it feels like who and what I am now. And for extra with our guest, seven time all around world champ, Ty Murray, we'll wrap up our conversation after the break. The Yeti Junior World Final. He is back in Vegas. From December 2nd through 11th, the next generation of rodeo stars will compete at the Cowboy Channel Cowboy Christmas, held daily inside the Wrangler Rodeo Arena. Visit nfrexperience.com for details. 
Looking for tickets to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo? StubHub is the official secondary and fan-to-fan site of the rodeo. Fans can buy and sell their tickets through a safe and secure online marketplace. Visit nfrexperience.com. Hi, I am Benny Butler, and you're listening to NFR Extra. NFR Extra with Ty Murray. You know, when we get to dive in to champions, right? And, and when I say champions, folks that have won multiple times, you've had to go through a lot of different kind of ups and downs. And the stories and kind of how you're formed along that way creates a really either good human being or just a really just tough, you know, like inside. They're just been through so much. They're just, it's hard to share a lot. But yeah, you're an awesome cowboy, man. You got one hell of a legacy, man. And congratulations coming up here at the 2021 NFR. I think it's going to be awesome. Get you back out there on the spotlight and fans go crazy and, and being at Vegas. Like it's going to be a special moment. Um, it's, it's an award that I'm very excited about. Um, you know, especially to go in number two right behind my idol, Larry Mahan. So that's very special. And, and, um, you know, I couldn't be more, more honored or, or more humbled and, appreciative um you know whenever you whenever you pour your heart and soul into something the way I did this sport for the first 32 years of my life I think the thing that drives you every day is proving it to yourself and striving for the benchmarks that you set for yourself you know I think that's that's the biggest driver I don't think that at that, at that time when you're going through it, I don't think that you're, that you're looking at so much say like legacy or, or, or hall of fames or, or what kind of awards, you know, that that may be waiting for you down the line, but it does feel, um, it does feel very satisfying to, to get recognized for pouring your, you know, your heart and soul every I, I poured everything I had into it you know I didn't I didn't have anything left to to pour into it so you know winning winning those seven all rounds was was something that was important to me since I was a little boy and so it just it just drove me every day because I was so bent on being able to prove to myself that I could do it and I think that's I think that's my personality type I think that's the I don't even know what you call it, but you know, that's, uh, that's definitely kind of the way my personality type works is when I, when I decide that I want to really do something, I'll go to whatever lengths, you know, it requires to do it whenever I'm really interested in something like that. So to be able to be recognized for these type of things at, at this point in my life is, is, is very exciting. And then, like I said, being able to go, as the second guy right behind Larry, that's, that's very special. I mean, I wish December was here a lot sooner. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Energy is going to be electric. Cool to have Ty back in the house. It's going to be awesome, man. And, uh, well, there's not, you know, there's nothing like the national finals rodeo. There's just nothing like it. And, and so, you know, it's our, it's our Indianapolis 500 Super Bowl, NBA finals, world series. I mean, you know, it definitely is. And it, it is for the fans of the sport as well. There's not a bigger, more anticipated, exciting gathering of the Western sports world anywhere. There's nothing, there's nothing that even comes close to it. And 
competing on that stage is, is the, it's just the best, you know, it's, there was, you know, I, I've been asked many times, what's my favorite rodeo? And it's, there's no question it's the NFR. I mean, it ain't even, you know, there aren't even other ones in the running. And so, you know, to be able to go to that place where the, where it's packed with the, with the very best fans and the whole town is packed with the very best fans. I mean, the amount of fans that are there to watch it is small in comparison to the amount of fans that are there, period. To be able to ride in that little intimate arena where there's 20,000 people stacked on top of you and the energy in there and, and the fact that you're going up against the very, the very best guys on, on the very best stock, I mean, that's, the, that's everything that you could ever want if, if this sport is something that burns in you, you know. I have just – I have nothing but the best um, memories of, of competing there, and it's so fun now to watch, like, the young guys that, that you see a lot of yourself in that are, that are you know, going and, and getting to compete there. It might be their first time or it might be their third or fourth time, but you know – the excitement that they feel being able to be in that position. Definitely something you dream about when you're a little kid and, you know, you play it over and over in your head a, a million times or pretending in your backyard. And <laughs> so then the, the first time that you really get to be there and, and really do it is just, uh, there's, there's just, you feel like you're bursting with excitement. Yeah. And I mean, what a special time it's going to be, right? I mean, we're coming back. I mean, granted, I know we did it in Texas. The rodeo athletes got paid last year, which was awesome in a very bizarro year. But yeah, the, the energy is going to be through the roof, man. And when, when you talk about that, I think that shows the, the resilience and the grit of, of the whole cowboy nation. You know, when you look at what the NFR was able to do last year in, in, in being able to divide and conquer and what the PBR was able to do in a, in a crazy year, in a crazy world where everything in the world was shut down and people weren't making a living. And, and you saw the resilience and the grit of, of, the, of the whole cowboy culture come through and in what the sports were, how they, they found a way you know, and, and that's something that, that I feel proud to be a part of. And, you know, you can't, uh, I think the whole world saw that laying down and dying, what wasn't, the, wasn't the way to go. You, you know, you have to, you, you have to adjust and, and keep moving forward. And I, and I feel like that's something that, that our special world was able to do. No doubt about it. That's, I mean, without question, I mean, what an amazing time. Well, I got to tell you, Ty, this was fantastic having you on, man. This is, uh, I know it's going to be well-received. Great stories. A couple things in here. I, I mean, doing research on you, I didn't, you know, the whole Dennis Finfrock thing. I didn't know about the Sugar Ray and uh, oh, yeah. Legacy. That's awesome, man. Some big hitters. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for taking the time. What a great guest, man. Thank you. All right. Well, I appreciate it. It was good talking to you, Nevada. Look, look yeah. forward to seeing you when I get out there. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you for taking the time. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right, Ty. Later, man. Okay. Bye. Many thanks to Ty Murray for visiting NFR Extra. Want to experience more of NFR? Then visit nfrexperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a big five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. 
NFR Extra. All dirt. All rodeo. All year. Gotta make it out to Vegas, where the big boys roam. With the rovers and the racers and the bulls and the browns. And the ladies in the skin-tight wranglers. 